We turn then in God's Word this morning to those ancient words. Always true. Always true. Genesis chapter 25. This morning as we consider two individuals, because both of them occur within this passage, uh, a woman called Keturah, a man called Kedar. Now, in the bulletin it has one name. That's where I was going to go, but uh, the more I read, we're going to uh, move it back up. So your sermon outline, I believe, is correct. Uh, and it's a man called Kedar and a woman called Keturah. From Genesis chapter 25. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Lashiam, and Lemuiam. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Haak, Abida, Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward, to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Ber Laharo. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar. Abiel, Nibsham, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died, was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over and against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if, the, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people are within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Her days to give birth were completed. Behold, there were twins in her womb. 
first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called him named Esau. After his brother, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we ask for the understanding of your word and the truths found in it so that we may apply it to our lives to live in accordance with your will. In our Savior's name we pray, amen. Amen. This morning we have these two individuals and the bulletin indicates that's kind of going to be the pattern except next Lord's Day I'll, I'll let you know that we'll have the psalm in the morning because of the content of that psalm is so fitting for a baptism. And then uh, in the evening, we'll be looking at uh, the people who are called the Kohathites um, and how God used them within the kingdom. This morning, though, it's this man called Kedar and the woman called Keturah. I want to first of all look at the context of the passage, just so to get straight in your mind, where are we? I know that uh, sometimes we, we perhaps don't take all the time we should to kind of back the train up and say, here's where we're at. This is what's going on in terms of biblical history. So let me set the broad context first of all, and then we'll set it within the life of Abraham. So if you're following the notes, it simply goes as follows. Scripture begins with the event of creation. It follows that up with telling us about sin, the fall of man. That is followed up by the story of the flood, and basically the next event that transpires after the flood is the story of this man called Abraham that we're reading about here in Genesis chapter 25. So we have creation, fall, flood, Abraham. Now if we take it in Abraham's life and, and we break it down into segments, what we'd have is the following. There is the call of Abraham, which begins in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham, who then is called Abram. He's living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And, and God calls him out of that place to come to Canaan, to the promised land. Abraham faithfully obeys. He moves. He moves with some of his family, but it's basically he moves with his flocks and herds. His wife, Sarai, whose name is going to be changed to Sarah, he has no children at that particular time. He takes along his nephew Lot, as well as many men who work for him and also serve as soldiers and protectors of all that he has. So you have Abraham is called, Abraham moves, then God establishes a covenant with Abraham, a promise from God's part that he will bless Abraham, that he will bless Abraham with a son, that he will bless Abraham uh, in terms of land, that he will bless him with many descendants. The covenant. Then are born to Abraham two sons. First is called Ishmael. We'll pick that up later. The second is Isaac. They... Abraham and Sarah, perhaps mostly Sarah at the point of the story, tries to manipulate, uh, as it were, the plan of God uh, because she is barren and doesn't seem to be able to have children. Uh, so she gives Abraham 
her handmaid, and Abraham has a child by the handmaid called Ishmael. But then Sarah also has a child. She's 90 years old when she has the child, and they call him Isaac. That also is found in the passage. Where we are right now is that Abraham dead, died. So we've, we've just covered the life of Abraham as far as Scripture gives it to us in the context of where all of this is taking place within Scripture. So secondly, let's look at some of the people that are mentioned in this passage. In particular, let's take note of the woman who is mentioned in verse 1. This woman by the name of Keturah. She is Abraham's wife. That's what Scripture says. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. He takes her as his wife after his wife Sarah dies. Sarah died when Abraham was 137 years old. He thought he's next. He thought he's going to go at any time. Yet, what ends up happening is this. His son Isaac has moved away. He's in Berlaharu, not where Abraham is. So it's sort of like Isaac has separated himself from that household, not in terms of spiritually, but in terms of business-wise. There's just too many of them. And Abraham most likely finds himself a little lonely. Life continues to go on. He's not dying. So he just gets married. Marries this woman by the name of Keturah. Later on, the passage will say, if you, if you look that in verses 5 and 6, and I'll come back to this to make another point, but here it says, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. Well, who are the concubines? Who's plural? Well, we know one would be Hagar, but who's the other one? Well, it's probably a reference to Keturah. You say, well, wait a minute. How can she be both a concubine and a wife? In this sense, in Abraham's mind and in Scripture's way of presenting this, Sarah is his wife. And she would always be his wife as far as his mind is concerned, he'd always think of Sarah as his wife. She is the one, we would say today, of highest priority to him because she was his first wife. He marries Keturah, she becomes wife, but she is the second wife. Meaning she doesn't quite have the same legal status as did Sarah in that day, in that culture, in that time. So to use the term both concubine and wife, in that culture everybody gets it. Oh, it's his second wife. They would have understood that very well. We have to go through the process of explaining it and even then we perhaps scratch our heads and go, well, that doesn't sound like the way we do it today. No, it isn't. But it is the way it occurred back in Abraham's day. So she's known as his wife, concubine, and he is married to her for about 35 years. 
35, 36, 37 years, somewhere in that ballpark. And with her, notice, he has six sons. Verse 2. 137, 38, 39, 40, somewhere in that ballpark. They get married. She becomes his wife. Between then and when Abraham dies at 175, they have six more children. Kind of, it's almost a little ironic, it's almost a little humorous to think Abraham thought he was going to die at 137. He lives that many more years and has six more sons. This woman, Keturah, meaning she probably was significantly younger than uh, he was and uh, significantly younger than Sarah as well. It's, it's just all kind of interesting as to how the Lord is working this out, which, which brings us back to the verse about them being sent away. It would mean then that the oldest of those six was probably about 35 years old. And then you spread them out, and so it would not be at all impossible to think, well, was he sending out 10-year-olds? No, it would be very well possible okay, that the youngest was in, the, in his 20s as well as they are sent off by Abraham to be away from Isaac as well at that particular time. Now, we'll come back to the significance of that, but that's who we're introduced to. The other person I want you to, to note is out of this list of Ishmael's descendants. It's down there in verse 13 that there is a name that occurs, and, and it's the name Kedar. It's the second. He is the second born of Ishmael. But Ishmael is Abraham's son. So Kedar is Abraham's grandson. It's interesting because Scripture actually has a lot to say about this particular grandson. When you follow along the genealogy, we know we're going to go down the promised line and hear all about Jacob and so on. But when you go down the other side, they seem to vanish off the pages of Scripture, except this name, Kedar, continues to reoccur. So let me take you through very quickly the passages. We're not going to take the time to look them all up. I'll reference them for you so you have the list. But then I'll also summarize what that passage tells us about Kedar and his descendants. The first is this. Psalm 120, verse 5. There is a reference to his descendants. And the reference is a warning. It's a warning that the psalmist is bringing up to say, this is not a place that one should journey. One, one should not be in the tents of Kedar. And the reference there is because that those people were such a warlike people. There was sort of there's there's sort of a note there, an ominous sounding of, of the fact that they, they were not only warlike, but it kind of pushes it to, to the idea perhaps of violence. You, you you should stay away from that area. That's not an area you ought to go to. You shouldn't be journeying to the tents of Kedar. I need to stay away from those tents. Now keep that in mind in the background. Song of Songs, st strange place for it to be referenced. 
verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 5. They are known as those who are the dwellers of tents. Now, it's a reference, chapter 1, verse 5 in Song of Songs, to the color of the skin of the one that the individual uh, that we believe to be Solomon, although we don't know that for sure, is, is referencing that he's having this romantic love affair with and her dark skin. And it references the fact that, that the skin is like the tents of Kedar. So what we're told is they're tent dwellers, okay? And, and that everybody, by the time Song of Songs is written, if you just say the dwellers of tents in Kedar, everybody knows it. it it's a reference that was common. So this group is known as, as these tent dwellers. There is another one, Isaiah chapter 21, verse 16. At one point in time, this group, this tribe, this nation, must have risen to quite prominence because it talks in Isaiah 21, 16 about their glory fading and their glory being taken away. Well, if something is fading and taking away, it must mean they have it at one time. So God is referencing for us that these, these descendants of Kedar had, had built a nation that was glorious. Now, we know Scripture is pretty guarded in the use of that term. And, and I don't think it would be right at this point for us to infer all that we think about when we talk about the glory of God, except for the fact that it may be referencing that it was very wealthy. And so there was luxury to be found in the tents of Kedar. There's also a reference in Isaiah 42, verse 11. It talks about the fact that they're in villages. Now that doesn't necessarily contradict the tent dwelling. It just means that the tents are, have formed themselves in terms of making a tent village. Those of you who have traveled to the Middle East or Africa perhaps have, have a better understanding of that. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 7 tells us that their occupation was primarily being shepherds. And if we follow that up uh, later on in Ezekiel 27, 21, that uh, their business was of sheep and goats and that they are ruled by princes and that we are told as well in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 10, that they live to the east of Canaan, which is exactly what Genesis chapter 25 told us as well. They went eastward. What ended up happening? Well, we are told that in Jeremiah 49, 28, that they were attacked and conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. This is the story of the grandson of Abraham. One name out of a long list of names that appear here. A wife who bears him six children, a grandson that scripture continue tells us about what happened to him. But perhaps the whole thing is we could set back and say the whole chapter is simply about Abraham's descendants. That's what it's telling us. Abraham dies. When Abraham dies, who's left? Well, you have Ishmael with all of his descendants. You have Keturah's sons. And you have Isaac. All these are the descendants 
of Abraham. Now, why does Scripture, why does God provide us this information at the end of Abraham's life? Why does this become the summary? He died, 175, old and full of years. He's gathered to his father. Hey, but let me tell you about all his descendants. Why? That brings us to our third point. The reminders from this passage. It reminds us, as we read this chapter, it reminds us of God's fulfilled promises. Back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Look at these promises that, that God gave. The physical promises that God is fulfilling in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 15. Go down to verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. I don't think there's any one of us who would argue that Against being 175 is a pretty good old age. God fulfilled his physical promise. God said to Abraham, you're going to live to a good old age, and then you're going to die and be gathered to your father. That's exactly what Genesis chapter 25 is telling. God fulfilled the physical promise that he made to Abraham. See, we, we don't spiritualize it all. We don't look at it and say, oh, it's all just to be understood spiritually. No, this promise of God was, was actual. It's a physical fulfillment. He lived a long time. God blessed him. That's one. Okay. Go to Genesis chapter 17. Note as well how it's being fulfilled here in a physical way. Genesis 17. Let's start at verse 4. Behold, God speaking with Abraham, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. What are we reading in Genesis 25? There is a multitude of nations. In fact, it would be fair to say that Genesis chapter 25 is presenting to us that all those with an ancestry that goes back from Israel all the way to India, to some extent, have their ancestry rooted in Abraham. You shall be the father of many nations. I promise that, God is saying. And before Abraham's eyes closed in death, he saw the physical realities of that. A man at the age of 90 who is still going, I don't have any kids yet, Lord. He dies at 175. 
nations spread out throughout the entire Middle East. God's promises in truth. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Remember the designation that is given to the Ishmael's sons, that they were princes, kings, over nations? God is fulfilling those physical promises that he made. Go to chapter 21. This is when they're... After Isaac has been born, God is speaking to Abraham. Verse 13, Genesis 21, 13. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So who is the son of the slave woman? Ishmael. What does Genesis 25 tell us? God made Ishmael into a great nation. He had 12 sons. Each of those sons became a king, a prince, over a nation. God is the one who fulfills his promises. Why do we read Genesis 25? Why do we stop to consider that Abraham married again to a woman by the name of Ketur? Why do we stop and consider that he has a grandson by the name of Pedar? Because it shows us the fulfillment of God's physical promises. But Genesis 25 is doing something else as well. It's also showing us God not only fulfilled his physical promises to Abraham, but he fulfilled the spiritual promises. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Remember all this talk about nations, right? All the, the, From you shall come forth nations, plural. Notice Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. Why in Genesis 12 does God not say, I will make you a great nation, make you into multitude nations? Why doesn't he use the plural there? Because Genesis 12 is not talking physical. Genesis 12 is talking spiritual. I will, from you, Abraham, bring forth a single, solitary people. My people you shall be called by my name. Now, throughout the Old Testament, those people are known as Israel. We would reference them, however, not as Israel, the nation. We would reference them as Israel, the Old Testament church. See, the promise of Genesis chapter 12 is a spiritual promise that God would bring forth us from Abraham, who is known in Scripture as the father of all believers. That the promise comes to Abraham. I will from you bring forth a nation. Genesis chapter 22. Go there for a moment. Genesis 22, 17 and 18. 
backed up. Okay, Abraham offered, willing to offer Isaac uh, as the sacrifice there on Mount Moriah, 17 and 18. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Your offspring shall all nations. He's, not, he's, he's saying there is something singular about your descendants. And in your descendant... Christ, I shall bless all nations. In your descendant, the church, all nations shall be blessed. Say, how does that work? What did we just do this morning? We took an offering to do what? Purchase audio scriptures that are going to do what? Go to Kenya, go to Uganda. What's going to happen? God is going to bless that. Some, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to come to faith through the hearing of God's word. And God will fulfill his promise of being. The promise that he's making there to Abraham on Mount Moriah. If you think, I don't know, Pastor Bob, you're kind of drawn at straws. Well, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works or of the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Is he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. What is the promise of Genesis 12? It's a spiritual promise that you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, become a son of Abraham. We become the fulfillment of Genesis 12. We become the fulfillment of Genesis 22. We are, you see, found in Genesis chapter 25. For we are the spiritual offspring by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, Abraham believed God. By faith, we believe the promise of God and then are counted as the descendants of Abraham. The spiritual promise that God sees as the stars of the heavens, as God sees as the sand of the seashore. Though so many will be those spiritual descendants of Abraham. You and I, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, are those descendants. It is a reminder that God fulfills his promises why we read. That's why we study Genesis chapter 25. Secondly, it reminds us of God's covenant distinction. When we read Genesis 25, there is a distinction going on. There is a separation taking place. 
the promised son was Isaac. Genesis 25 clearly is setting Isaac apart from the sons of Keturah and apart from Ishmael. Now we already know that Ishmael was separated in the earlier chapters of Genesis. Yep, Hagar and Ishmael are sent packing. Off they go. With God's promise, I'm going to make him into a great nation as well, Abraham. But he's not the son of promise. That's Isaac. Okay, well that happened years and years and years ago. Now, onto the scene comes Keturah. Six more sons. What does Abraham do? You boys, you need to leave. You get, you got to go. Here's some gifts. Here's enough to get you started in business. Off you go. See ya. Take care. Before I die, I want to make sure that, that my estate is taken care of because the bulk of my estate goes to the promised son. The bulk of my estate is going to Isaac. He is separating Isaac out. He's not treating all his sons the same. They're not all equal in the eyes of God, and they're not all equal in Abraham's eyes. Here you go, six guys, off you go. Go to the east, get away from Isaac. Ishmael, here's your bag of food, here's your uh, skin of water. See ya, off you go. I got to do all I can to make sure that Isaac remains separate from all the peoples of the earth. You see, the reason we kept reading in Genesis 25 is because now Isaac has children. And there is a further distinction, isn't it, there? There's two nations within the womb of Rebekah. And they're not going to be at peace with one another. They're going to be at odds with one another. In fact, the older is going to end up serving the younger. There is going to be constant friction and warfare that is going to exist. But my blessing is going to rest upon this Jacob. The story of Scripture is to take this family and to show how from this family, how from Genesis 25... He's got all these options of sons. No. I've got one promised son. One son of the covenant right here. This is Isaac. And scripture continues to unfold to us the fact that it is from that son Isaac that the promised line is to be found that our Savior comes. Through that separation, through that distinction. Now, why is that important? Because there's one thing about Kedar I didn't tell you earlier. It's not found in the scripture. In fact, really didn't come about till about 630 A.D. Somewhere in that ballpark. So, 630 A.D., why say? Anybody know what began approximately 630 A.D.? Jeff? Islam. You know that they believe, that Islam believes, that Muhammad is the descendant of Qadar. So here's the question. Which is the true line? Where is the true Christ to be found? Where is the true way of salvation to be found? Which lineage? See, Genesis 25 puts us squarely in today's world. 
you have millions and millions and millions of those descendants of Abraham through Ishmael, through Kedar, who are saying salvation is this way. It is through the works of law. It is through my works righteousness. Genesis, or Galatians chapter 3. Scripture, however, reveals to us, no, that son was sent away. That was not the son of promise. The promise line is through Isaac. And it is through Isaac that we come to the one who is the great prophet. Not Mohammed, but Jesus Christ. And there is no other means of salvation other than faith in Jesus Christ. This is God's word. See, that's what this passage reminds us of. It reminds us of God's truth, that his word, even as Solomon prays at the dedication of God of the temple, not one word has failed of all his promises, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. God has fulfilled all of his promises, so much so that when we come to the New Testament, Paul writes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. In other words, all the promises of God find their ultimate fulfillment Not in Mohammed. Now, I know we know this. I, I, I trust we all understand this. But we are inundated day after day after day after day with the thought that somehow this may be some sort of legitimate religion by which you can be saved. And God's word knows of no such heresy. Genesis 25 is laying out for you and I clearly, plainly that there is only one way of salvation. That way of salvation is to be found by faith. In what? In the finished work of the one Christ and in Him alone. Ancient word. Ever true. Speaks to the great conflict of our day. Speaks to the great conflict of the age. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except by me. All the women who would strap themselves with a bomb, who walk near a bus to, and purposely blow themselves up so that they can kill people upon that bus. These are the people who get in a vehicle, who drive across a bridge, 
and mow down as many people as they can, and then they jump out of the vehicle with knives and guns. These are the people who take a, a knife and slit the throat of a security guard in Flint. These are the people who need to hear the truth. They've believed the lie. Satan has deceived them. They think Ishmael is the promised son. They think Kedar is, is the man. That's the promised line all the way down to Muhammad. Satan has deceived them. They need to hear the ancient words. Why do we buy a whole audio scripture? Because they need to hear the word. What do you suppose most of those people in Kenya and Uganda are being influenced by? They need to hear Genesis 25. That's not the story. That isn't right. What we've heard, what we've been taught is wrong. Isaac is the promised son. Christ is the prophet. And there is no other way of salvation. Amen? Father, thank you. Last week we had a psalm. The psalm said, you have not treated all the nations of the world. Us, given us your word. Glorious, precious. Father, we pray that those of such hardened hearts, those of such violent means, even as your scriptures warned in the psalm, to stay away from the tents of Kedar. of their ancestors. May your word pierce that heart. Bring it to one who is the way, the truth, and the life. God's people say,